following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. A little over a year ago, I, uh, Denise and I had the chance to go to Israel Really, one of the highlights of our time there, we were only there four days, which is just really not enough. But we got to spend a couple, go, go to the, the Western Wall, which you can bring up the next slide, a couple of times. And uh, it really is just, it was just very powerful to be at a place where there's so much history. And, uh, you know, the wall itself is just a retaining wall. You know, it's not the temple itself. It's just the foundation of a retaining wall that the temple complex used to sit on at the top of that wall. And, um, but nonetheless, something I really looked forward to, I, I greatly anticipated. Um, it's the site where uh, Solomon built his temple. It is the site, of course, where that temple was destroyed and the Israelites were dragged off into exile. It's the site where um, another temple was built in the intermediate time and then Herod's temple was built. And that wall was built by Herod the Great, uh, and you stand there where all this history is, and um, you know it's the place where Jesus was dedicated, where he taught, where he was ultimately tried and sentenced to death. Um, it is the place where Pentecost took place. And just right above uh, where I was standing, where you can kind of be right above that, is most likely the place where Peter preached his great famous sermon at Pentecost. So you're standing here, and you just have this sense of you know, what happened in that spot. And it's a place of, uh, of looking back, of really holding on to something of so much history. But it's also a place where, uh, as you go, you will see uh, Jews uh, gathering at the wall every day, and they often call it the Wailing Wall. Because it's a place where Jews, Jewish people will come and pray. And while I was there, they would come, and they have these prayer books, and they set up these tables, and they pray, sometimes hours. And, and they do wail. I mean, they cry out. And, of course, they're crying some because of uh, the past that's lost and because of some of the, uh, you know, their temple has been destroyed and uh, some devastating things in their history. But they also are wailing for the future. And, uh, of course, there's nothing magical about the wall and no Jew goes because they revere the wall. It's just that that's as close as they can get to the site of the temple. And, of course, right now there's a Muslim mosque sitting on that spot. And so... Uh, the Muslims are not real happy about inviting the Jews in to worship there. So it's the closest they can get. So they get and they lean and they turn, even, even at the wall, they turn towards the side of the temple because they look to the day when the temple will be rebuilt. And in fact, while we were there, uh, they have built all the furnishings, all the utensils, all the robes, everything necessary. If uh, something happened and the, the Dome of the Rock was wiped out, Today, tomorrow, there would be a temple and the Jews would be worshiping there. They have everything ready. So you stand there and you're, you're, uh, you're kind of in this gap of history between 2,000 years ago when it was all ended, when the Romans destroyed the temple, and yet this future hope of something that will be restored. Right? And so as I was there, two, two, uh, I, mean, I really felt like God put two things on my heart and I was kind of wondering, you know, what, what, what do you do when you're there? I mean, I prayed uh, for about half hours stood there praying. And, and uh, as I reflected on all these things, God really put really three things in my mind. The first one uh, is that 
we, as the church, are living stones built together to be a new temple. Right? So we don't have to overdo um, our awe of that place because we are the temple. And when God looks down at the earth, he doesn't look at that wall and the temple mound there with greater affection than he does this room right here, right? Because you are living stones built together into a living wall, a living temple, and God is in this place. He may not be right now uh, to the same extent in that place. I mean, he's everywhere. But he's in a special place here because you are his children. We are his temple. And, uh, and I felt like God saying to me, you know, you are the temple. You are those stones, right, as, as God's church in this current age. Um, but at the same time, I felt God saying to me, but this pla- that doesn't make this place meaningless or pointless because I have a future for this place. One day, I will rebuild my temple here. And one day, people will come from all over the world and they will worship here. And especially the Jewish people will have refreshed and renewed encounter and experience with God as they worship him. Um, and then, so you got that look back, that look forward. But then, uh, it's like God also said the third thing to me, but I'm the one who put this Muslim mosque right where the temple sits for a reason. Because I'm going to make sure that that temple of my future glory is not built until the day I decide. And if you know anything about the politics of that area, you know, uh, nothing's going to happen there quickly uh, apart from God's intervention, right? That all is a great picture of really uh, what Paul describes in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. Uh, He's talking about Israel And he's talking about Israel in relationship to what's happened since the gospel has come, since Jesus has come, and God has made a new covenant with man where he, uh, through Christ's blood, brings salvation and deliverance and redemption. And as Paul's argued, the Jews largely rejected, turned away that that gift of salvation through the gospel. So Paul's been wrestling with this question, what, what happens now to Israel that they have rejected the gospel? And uh, for me, the Temple Mount and the Temple Wall is kind of a picture of what's happened. Uh, Israel was blessed in the past, and the blessings and promises that God gave to Israel, uh, we can look back on those things. And in some sense, they are still the foundation of what Israel is. But right now, Israel is like that temple, kind of a barren place where really nothing is happening. But there is the promise of a day when... God will do great things. So let's look at how Paul really summarizes, he really brings together all that he's been talking about in the last uh, three chapters of the book, of the letter. He brings it all together in verses 25 to 32, and he kind of makes his final case, right? So we're going to read, we're actually going to read verses 11 and 12, and then jump down to verse 25 uh, through 32. So if you want to follow as I read... Paul writes, So I ask, did they, that is Israel, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness, will their full inclusion mean, or their fullness? Mean. Down to verse 25. 
Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been uh, disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Um, Paul talks about two fillings here, two, two fillings or two kinds of fullness. Uh, first of all, he talks in verses 11 and 12 about the fullness of Israel. So we're going to look at that first. Then in 25 to uh, 30, he talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. And then in the end, he talks really about the fullness of his mercy. So that's kind of our outline if you want to track that. So first, the fullness of Israel. And he asks this question, did, uh, he says, I asked, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. What does he mean by that? Well, he's uh, using two words that uh, have to do with tripping or falling down, but with different end results, right? Stumbling means to trip. Uh, where you stumble, you trip, you kind of falter. But you don't, you don't totally face plant. Or if you do face plant, you face plant, but you can still get up, right? Uh, the word he uses here for fall means to face plant in such a way that you can't get up. If some of you lived in America many, many decades ago, you'll remember this classic commercial where this elderly lady with a stroller has fallen, right? That's advertising this, uh, this device that, you know, back in the days when telephones, this is way back, some of you can't even really comprehend this, but you middle school students, used to be that telephones you couldn't carry in your pocket. They were, believe it or not, permanently mounted to walls, right? Uh, unbelievable. And so... This poor little old lady with her little walker has fallen, and you know the phone is clear over, anchored to the wall, and she can't reach it. So it's advertising this thing where you push this button, and it automatically dials an emergency number. And she says, remember the classic line? I've fallen, and I can't get up. So we know who the old people are now. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Well, that's how Paul uses the word here. Did they stumble where they just tripped and they bounced back up and they moved on? Or did they fall permanently to the extent that God is done with them and Israel as a nation will never recover, will never again be a place of God's, in God's plan? And Paul says clearly, no, by no means they have not fallen. Their fall is neither complete nor permanent. And a lot of what he's been explaining or talking about is that, uh, first of all, it's not complete and that not all Jews have have stumbled. There, he says there will always be, and there has been, and there will continue to be a remnant of Israel who do believe, who are followers of Christ, who receive the gospel. So it's not complete, and it's not permanent. And he talks a little bit here 
about what's coming in the future, that uh, it's not the end, that Israel will once again get back up and Israel as a nation will once again walk in the fullness of the blessing that God has for them. Uh, so he says they've, they've only stumbled. Um, and, and consequently, as we think about Israel, as we think about God's plan, uh, the church age will continue on till the end, but the church age does not spell the last or final chapter of God's history. The last his- chapter of God's history will, will be the bring, bringing back the rising up again of Israel. And one day that wall will be a different place. Right? One day we will go to Jerusalem, and I, I look forward to this day, to go back to Jerusalem and to, to, to go to the temple there and to worship. And, and so Paul says, there will be a rising again of the nation of Israel. And he explains that a little bit further as he goes on. And he says that the stumbling of Israel was not uh, unknown to God. Right? It wasn't that God, you know, throughout three, 4,000 years of Jewish history, led Israel up to the point where Christ would come, offered them salvation in Jesus, and when they rejected it, God went, Oh my goodness, I don't know what to do, because I didn't expect this. Right? No, Paul says, God knew all along that this would happen, and it's in fact part of God's purpose and plan. That God purposed this rejection of Israel for a reason. And he explains in verse 12 why. He says, um, he says, by no means, rather through their trespass, through their slipping of, of Israel, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. He says, all along, this has been God's plan. And he says that in many ways throughout this section. And he says it again here. He said, God's plan was that Israel would would step away for a moment, that they would fall, they would stumble, they would slip. And through that, God would extend grace and extend the gospel to all the nations, to all the nations. And he says, now if this trespass means riches for the world, riches of the blessings of salvation to every nation, every people group in in the world, uh, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness mean, their filling mean? So he says God had a purpose in all this, and the purpose was that uh, his gospel would go to the nations. That doesn't mean that uh, Israel uh, was never to be a blessing to the nations. They were. And throughout the Old Testament, they were to be a light and a witness. They were to be God's agent of grace to the nations. But because Israel, at the time of Christ, rejected the gospel, they, uh, as it says, we'll see in a minute, God hardened them. God now bypassed Israel and he extended grace directly to the nations apart from or not through the agency of Israel. And so now we live in this new age where God's primary activity is taking place outside of his mission or plan in Israel. And he says, this is God's design. God has allowed this lapse in Israel so that the gospel could come to the nations. Uh, it's not a plan B. It's not uh, God's desperate rescue mission because his whole thing failed. It is his plan from the beginning. And Paul says this is how God designed it all along. But he also implies that absolutely better things are to come. He says uh, if their failure, the failure of the Jews means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their filling mean? 
What does he mean by this word filling? What does he mean by the filling of Israel? Uh, the, the ESV translates it the full inclusion. Uh, the word uh, is the same word that's used when we looked at Christmas time about the the fulfillment of prophecy, right? Where it says that the word of the prophet would be fulfilled as spoken through the prophet. Same word. And it really has the idea literally of filling something up to its full measure. Uh, and the in the, in the context here of Israel, the question could be one of two things. What does it mean for Israel to be filled up? Does it mean the, fu- the fulfillment of God's promise and the restoration of all that God predicted for Israel in terms of a nation and a kingdom? Or does it mean filling up in terms of some kind of new n- numbers? Like God has a kind of a quota and he fills up the quota of, of those who he's chosen in Israel for salvation. Well, Paul doesn't distinguish which meaning he means here. And probably both are true. Probably the idea is that uh, all of God's promises to Abraham, all of his promises of blessing, of nation, of salvation that he promised to Abraham and his descendants has never been completely fulfilled. Those promises have never been fully filled up to their complete state. And so Paul's saying, at that time, God will fulfill all of his promises to Israel. He will fill up what is yet un, uh, undone. And at the same time, it, it, uh, it probably does have the idea of a number, that a, a large number of Jews, enough so that, as we'll see in a moment, uh, it can be said that the, that the nation has returned to him, will be saved. There is a filling up of Israel. Um, and that all has to happen in the future. Um, when? Well, we don't know when, but the language that Paul uses here is language of the end times, uh, probably relating to and around the time of Christ's second coming. And he doesn't lay out any timetables. I don't have a chart. Okay, I'm not going to give you a chart. Uh, but towards the end, right? And as we'll see in a moment, uh, before that can happen, there has to be the filling up of the Gentiles first. So as the ages progress on, uh, the last phase of God's plan of history will be this filling up of the Jews, this final carrying out of his promise and his blessing to Israel and its future. And it's probably connected very closely with the second coming of Christ. So that's the filling of Israel. And we'll t- come back and touch on that a little. But, but then in verses 25 to uh, 30, he talks about uh, the filling of the nations. So what does he talking about there. Well, in verse 25 he says, uh, Lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. And if you remember last week we looked at uh, Paul has shifted his focus to the Gentiles in the church at Rome, and he's addressing uh, potential pride and conceit on the part of the Gentiles who felt, "Ah, God's done with Israel, God doesn't care about them, he's all about the church now, and so really we're better than them. Right? And he's addressing that kind of pride and arrogance that was seeping into the community of the church at Rome. And he's saying, no, this is, this is wrong. And it's, it's misunderstanding both who you are and uh, God's greater purpose for Israel. And so he comes back to that and he, he says, I, you know, he says, lest you're wise in your own pride, lest you're conceited, lest you have this prejudice toward Israel, uh, I want you to know about this mystery. All right, this mystery about Israel. 
And he says the mystery basically con- con- contains three things. He says, this mystery, brothers, it is a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Okay, so he, he says three things. He says there will be a partial hardening of Israel. He says that there will be an inpouring of Gentiles into God's kingdom. And that uh, by this, Israel will, in the end, come to a place of salvation. Uh, scholars and commentators kind of debate about which one of those three is actually the mystery part, or is all three the mystery part. Uh, here's, um, as I sifted through it all, my take on it. Um, the the three the, a mystery has the idea of something that is hidden was formerly hidden has been revealed right um, it's apocalyptic it has the idea of prophecy of a prophet who looks into the future and sees something that nobody saw before and explains something of God's activity or hand or work right and the idea is that it's it's unexpected it's hidden it's not something people were expecting or looking for. So out of those three things, which one would qualify for that? Which one would be the most likely hidden or unexpected? Um, well, behind door number one, the hardening of Israel, okay? Uh, is that the mystery? Well, Paul's just spent a whole lot of time explaining in the last two and a half chapters uh, all about this topic of the hardening of Israel. It's something he's talked about in other Gospels. It's not new, Right, so it would be unlikely for him to use the idea of mystery here to explain something he's been talking about a lot already. So probably not the hardening. Um, the third option, door behind door number three, uh, the salvation of all Israel. Of course, to the, to the Jewish people in Paul's audience, that also would not have been unexpected. Okay, the Jews were all looking for the salvation of all Israel. So there's nothing unexpected or unusual about that. What, what really caught people off, especially the Jews, uh, was this idea that God would set aside Israel and bring in this age where the focus of his grace, his ministry, would be to the Gentile nations. Right? And uh, in other places, uh, Paul describes the mystery in similar terms. That God surprised us by setting aside Israel for a time so that uh, his focus of attention would be towards the nations. Uh, and that's probably what he's speaking of here, this idea that the church age uh, is somewhat unexpected. It was something that, uh, that wasn't clearly spelled out in the prophecies. And, and, but, but Paul says it's, it's a mystery in the sense that it's been revealed to him. Okay? It may not be clearly pointed to in the Old Testament, but it's nonetheless revelation from God. That this was God's purpose and plan. So it's not unexpected to God or a surprise to him. Um, but all three of those things are significant. All right? And he talks about this fullness, the filling of the nations. Or what is that about? Well, he says, first of all, that it was made possible by this partial hardening. And we talked about that a little. Israel rejected the gospel. Israel uh, refused in unbelief to accept what God had provi- provided for them. And Paul says here that because of that, they have been hardened by God. God has made them spiritually insensitive. He has shut them down so that, by and large, most people in Israel are resistant to the gospel. Praise God, there are still a remnant. There are those who have received him. But 
for the most part in Paul's day and to this day, Israel has been hardened to the gospel. But Paul says that's part of God's design, as he said before, to bring the gospel to the nations. That As God set Israel aside, uh, the Gentiles have now come in. Right? That this hardening has come about until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, so, right now, we are in an age and an era where God is filling up his kingdom with Gentiles, with the nations. Uh, again, what does the filling mean? Well, it probably also has the same two meanings. One, that we as Gentiles are being brought into the fullness of God's blessing, but also this idea that there is a number, right? That God has determined, and I don't know the number, so he said to me, 144,000? I think it was more than that. Uh, But God has an idea. He has predetermined the ingathering of the Gentiles. And it has to do not only with individuals, but as we see in other portions of Scripture, God has promised that people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation and people will come and be worshipers of God. God is calling to himself people of every nation. And he is at this time drawing them in. And the end will not come. The age of the Gentiles will not end until that is complete. Right? Until he has filled up his plan and his program to reach the nations with the gospel, with his plan of salvation and hope. Now, that's been going on for about 2,000 years. Uh, and, and for those of us sitting in this room, th- this ought to be really exciting stuff. Because we sit really at the last final frontier of that gospel outreach. Right? The gospel has really gone to every part of the world, to virtually every people group and every corner. The last place where the gospel has made a significant inroad is is Asia, right? Asia. And uh, if you're here and you are a believer, you are a light of Christ, and part of what you are here for is to shine Christ to the nations. And there is something about what we are doing that spells out really the last phase of God's salvation history in this era, right? Uh, Just a few years ago, there were over 600 unreached people groups, the majority of them in Asia. Not all, but a a majority. Uh, You'll be hearing in the weeks to come uh, of the Call call to All conference coming up in May. Uh, Call to All was uh, really birthed by God to address those 600 unreached people groups. Uh, And we will have a chance in May to participate and to go to that conference and to be a part of uh, praying for and seeing the last unreached people groups targeted. The good news is that number now has gone from 600 down to just a, a few dozen, right, uh, that are not reached, not reached, but where there are people now going to those people groups to proclaim Christ. Right? So missiologists are telling us that within the next 20 years, next 20 years in our lifetime, Virtually every people group in the world will have somebody in their people group in their language proclaiming the gospel to them. Right? So we live in an exciting time because it is now, now what it means for those groups to be reached, I don't know, and you know, people argue about this. Is it two percent, one percent, fifty percent, twenty percent? I don't know. But God has a number. God has a plan, right? And whatever you are doing to take Christ to the nations, 
You, you're not doing this apart from what God has already preordained and determined and destined. Right? God says, I have set Israel as aside for a time because I am going to bring in the nations. And until that is accomplished, Israel will be sidelined. But as he brings in more and more people groups, more and more Gentiles, more and more believers, as his church and the gospel expands throughout the world, we day by day become closer to the end uh, when God will, as the final grand act of his play, bring back Israel. So everything that you are doing to proclaim Christ here uh, is good news for Israel. It's good news for the Jewish people because it brings their restoration one day closer. So I hope you are excited about what you're doing. I hope you are charged. Are you charged? You should be. You should be excited to be living in this age. You know, Paul had no idea this was going to go on for 2,000 years. Um, Most of the early church had no idea. And Paul thought the world, you know, was Rome. And he thought because he had covered the Mediterranean, you pretty well had like 99% of it. Little did he know how much of the world was still out there. Well, unless people, you know, unless we find people living under the ocean somewhere we didn't know about, we're almost there. Right? We are almost there. And we need to be faithful, praying for and laboring uh, for those last peoples to come to Christ, to be proclaiming them. And God is going to do that work. So we should be excited about that. Um, and then he says, he says, he says so... Um, there's this partial hardening. Israel's been set aside until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Okay, there's a lot of... Uh, one commentator called this the storm center of all of Romans, right? Or maybe the whole Bible, right? A lot of theology. We don't have time to go into all the arguments and whatever, but let me just summarize quickly uh, a couple of things. Paul says that God has a purpose for Israel in the future. God is not done with Israel. He will restore Israel. He will fill Israel up again. That will not happen until uh, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In the meantime, there's a hardening of Israel, but at that time, uh, Israel will be saved. And he says that this is done in this way. right? In this way. In other words, in the manner that Paul has just described. It's not going to happen any other way. Okay? God is not going to bring revival or restoration to Israel for whatever reason his plan is until the time of the Gentiles is complete. But he says then, in this way, Israel will be saved. Now, all is, he says all Israel will be saved. Now, of course, there's a lot of debate. What does he mean by all Israel? Does he mean that uh, then every Jewish person through all history will, become a, will get saved? Uh, most people would dismiss that because that goes contrary to everything Paul's been teaching in the book in Roman, uh, Romans about the gospel. That the only way we come to salvation is through faith in Christ. Right? And that there's an opportunity before us to choose or reject him. And that what we do with that choice becomes quite permanent and final. Um, so most, common, most commentators would boil the options down to three. First of all, that all Israel means the community of the elect, Jew and Gentile. So in other words, all the people who are elect in the end become Israel, whether they are Jewish or Gentile. Okay, that would be one version. Um, however, there are, 
there are problems with that view, namely that in chapters 9 through 11 of Romans, Paul uses the term Israel 10 different times. Every time he speaks of ethnic Israel, he never uses it in this passage to describe the descendants of Abraham, as in Gentiles and Jews. Okay? In, this pa- in this section, he only uses Israel to speak of Israel as a nation, as an ethnic people group. So it seems rather odd and really impossible that he would start using it that way now. So it probably does not mean that, well, you know, the church will become Israel. Okay, that would be one version. He says, no, that, that's not really what he's talking about. Second option would be the, the nation of Israel as an ethnic people group. Okay, so the nation as a whole would be a second option. Third option would be the elect within Israel. Uh, so God will save all those, in other words, God will save all those in Israel who were elected to be saved, which of course is true. God only saves those who are elected. But is that really what Paul means there? Well, to take that meaning, you'd have to change again how Paul uses the word Israel from verse 25 to 26. In 25, he uses it of the nation as a whole, not of the elect. He says, God has hardened Israel, meaning the nation, right? He didn't harden the elect. Uh, Then in verse 26, he says, all Israel will be saved, meaning only of the elect. Well, that's kind of insanity, right? So most people would say, and I would agree, that he's talking here about the nation as a whole. He's saying that at the end times, God will move in such a way that all Israel, the nation, will come to Christ and come to salvation. Uh, Now, does that mean at that time every Jewish person individually will be saved? Well, probably not. Uh, And throughout the Old Testament, uh, the, the phrase all Israel means the people as a group, but not necessarily its individuals. And I could quote a bunch of scriptures that explain that. I won't. Uh, but the idea is that it, it's, it's like we say, you know, uh, we, we can, what's a good illustration that won't get me in trouble? I better not go there because I'll get myself in trouble. We can, we can generalize and stereotype people groups, right? And when I do that, I get myself in huge trouble. <laughs> um, we don't mean each individual person, but we mean them corporately as a group. And Paul is probably using it in that sense there. All Israel as a nation. Uh, not guaranteeing that every Israelite will, will come will be saved. Because Paul has made it clear that you're saved through faith. It's a personal choice each individual must make to receive the gospel. But he says that a large number, a majority of Israel, will be saved at the end. Right? So that it can be said, the nation has come back. The nation has come to Christ. Um, and... Uh, Again, a lot of arguments I won't go into, but uh, most certainly he's not talking about the nation throughout all of time in history, but the nation at that time, at that time and place, because uh, the word is never used uh, to describe a nation through all time. Right? It's always used of the nation at any given specific point of time. So at that end time, God will move, a huge number of Israelites, of Jewish people will come back, will, will come to Christ, And God will, at that time, fulfill his blessing promises to Israel. And he gives some great, uh, as he does throughout this whole section, he he supports it with scripture. Uh, He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
So he's talking here not just about a political restoration, but ultimately about spiritual salvation, the removing of sins through the cross of Christ. The, the Redeemer, Jesus, come from Zion, will remove their sins and will bring about a new covenant of forgiveness and grace in Israel. Um, lastly, so there's the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of Israel. And Paul concludes all this describing the fullness of God's mercy. And he really says some incredible things here. Uh, let's just go through it real quickly. He says, As regards the gospel, they, that is Israel, are the enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. Um, So what is the status of Israel? Well, Paul says it depends on how you look at it. There's two ways to evaluate Israel right now. One would be to evaluate them in, in light of the gospel. And if you evaluate modern day current Israel in light of the gospel you would have to say that they are enemies of God right? because they have rejected the gospel and that they have put themselves in a place as God's enemies. But Paul says that's happened for you. Right? God has brought that hardening. He has set them aside for you so that he could show mercy to the nations. Right? So for those who would be proud or arrogant towards Israel really ought to step back for a moment at this, right? God has taken these people who were his for many thousand years, and through the gospel, he has put them in a place where the rock, the cornerstone that Jesus has become a rock of stumbling, and they've become enemies of God, but he did that for our sake. He jeopardized his beloved people to bring in the nations, right? There shouldn't be any pride in that. Right? There should be no pride in that. Because we didn't deserve that, right? Um, why would God do that? We talked about the grafting the wild olives into the good tree. You know, why would he do that? So if we look at Israel in terms of the gospel, they're enemies. But he says, if we look at gospel if we look at the uh, at Israel in the light of election, as God's chosen people, they are what? They are beloved, right? They are beloved. God still loves Israel on the basis of his election uh, because of the patriarchs, because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God chose them out of his love, not because they deserved it by grace. And his choice of them still rests on Israel as a nation, as a whole people group. They are a people, a nation loved by God. Even though now hardened and set aside for a season, God loves them, right? And because of the patriarchs and because of his promise to them, he will complete and fulfill his full purpose for Israel. And he says this great line, for the the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Gifts meaning uh, the blessings that God has poured out. Call meaning his call to election, his choice of them. In Greek, the word call, the word election come from the same root. Okay? He's called them. He's chosen them. He says the call and the gift of God are irrevocable. Right? Have you ever received a gift? Somebody gives you something and you find out the reason they gave it to you is because they didn't know how it worked, right? And you push a button and it turns on and they go, whoa, I didn't know it did that. Right? 
And then, and then the gift becomes now, oh, thanks for fixing that for me, right? And they take it back, right? Uh, God does not, he does not give and take back his gifts. When God gives, when he calls, he is faithful to carry that gift out to its end. God is faithful. Uh, it's true for Israel, it's true for us. Okay, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He will never take back what he has given us, ever. Right? If we've received it in faith, we never have to fear that God's going to say, oh, you know, you know I, I was with you, but when you just sinned that last sin, that, that's too much, right? You're done. I'm taking back all my gifts. Right? No, because the gifts are given on, on the basis of his grace, not because we've earned them, right? His gifts and his calling are irrevocable. And then he says this. He says, just as you were one time disobedient, meaning Gentiles, you and I as Gentiles were disobedient, uh, but now you have received mercy because of their disobedience. So we were disobedient, but we received mercy because of the disobedience of Israel. In the same way, so they now too have been disobedient. That is, Israel has become disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. That's the thing that Paul's been talking about over and over, that, that one day the Jews will look at the salvation of the Gentiles and it will make them jealous. And they will go, no, that's our blessing. That's for us. And they will be jealous and they will long once again for the mercy of God. And he finishes with this. He says, oh, for, for God has consigned all to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. Um, in other words, there's only one way to come into right relationship with God, and that is through mercy. Right? We as Gentiles, as the nations, have come to that place because of our own disobedience. He says you're consigned to disobedience. It's a picture of somebody being caught in, in a net. And he says all of you have been caught in this net called disobedience, where we realize we are not worthy and we don't deserve God's good gifts. We as Gentiles, it didn't take a lot for us to, to, to get to that point. At least it didn't for me. You know, for you, hopefully it hasn't either. That you re- realize this part of your heart that is stubborn and rebellion against, rebellious against God. But it's through that path of rebellion and stubbornness and pride and disobedience that we recognize, I need God's mercy. There's no way in the world I can fix this. There's no way I can say to God, look at how good I am. I surely deserve your favor. No. We all come through the path of disobedience to mercy. And, and Paul says this: I've, I've thrown, I've thrown both, I've thrown everybody into this big net, Jews and Gentiles alike, every country, every nation, every people, in this big bag called disobedience, so that I may save all. There's a lot of people, universalists, who jump on that and say, "Well, see, God wants to save everybody because everybody's disobedient, therefore everybody must get saved in the end." Uh, he uses, but throughout the New Testament, the word "all." is used uh, to describe all without distinction, not all without exception. Okay? All without distinction, not all without exception. In other words, God will save, in the context here, from all people groups. He'll save from Jews and Gentiles. He'll save from people in Thailand and China and 
from the Lao and, and the, the Khmer and the Lahu and every people group, right? Uh, but not all without exception, as in every individual, right? He will save all. All people, every tribe and tongue and people group will come to Christ and they will know him. Uh, and they will know his mercy. Uh, God is carrying forth his purpose. So here's the thing. If you're here, which you should be, to proclaim Christ, if your mission is life is to be a witness for him and to proclaim the gospel, unlike Jeremiah, your words will never be wasted. Your effort in your life will never fall on deaf ears. Well, it will fall on lots of deaf ears, but will also fall on the ears of those who will receive. The seed that you plant and the labor that you do to bring the gospel to the world will be fruitful and productive because God is going to carry out his plan. I don't know who God wants to save, but he knows. And there is a full measure in Thailand and in Laos and in China and in Cambodia and in in Burma. All these countries, right? Uh, praise God that we have the privilege of bringing the good news, working with God as he unfolds his salvation. And one day, and I can't, this is going to be awesome, one day, maybe very soon, the last Gentile is going to come to Christ, right? And God's going to open the heavens, and he is going to do a work in Israel. And uh, that temple mount will no longer be empty, and God will pour out his grace and the temple will be revived, and Jewish people will see their rebellion and their sinfulness, their disobedience, and they will come to mercy, and they will worship Jesus. And in that day, people from every tribe and tongue and language will gather at that temple, and they will worship God together, the one who gives us mercy. And we will stand there on level ground as disobedient people, Wicked, sinful people have been saved by God's grace. And none will say, well, we were better than you. We will all be there by mercy. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Thank you.